Hello everyone and welcome to this episode of Project Shadow. My name's Charlie. You might know me better as sci-fi fantasy writer C.E. Dorset, and it's time to talk about Star Trek Discovery, the latest episode, episode six, The Sounds of Thunder. Okay, I enjoyed this episode and kind of hated it all at the same time. But for none of the reasons you're probably thinking, and it's because the show actually surprised me. And I was so mm, sure that I was right about something that it it's playing with my mind. I, I did enjoy this show. I think it worked for the most part, but a lot of the things that I... I can't really say much without uh, going into spoilers. Basically, the red light shows up over Saru's homeworld. The Discovery goes there. Hijinks ensue. That's what the episode's about. And with that, let's just go over to the wonderful world of spoilers. So if you have yet to see Sounds of Thunder and you don't want to be spoiled head on over and check it out and come back when you're ready i'm going to spoiler town in five four three two one hi okay so this is one of those episodes that i feel like this was a do your homework kent episode that just realized that people might not have done their homework, so they did their homework for you while you were watching it. So, yeah. So, <laughs> the crew goes to Saru's homeworld, and this a lot of the events of the story rely on you having seen the short trek that they did about Saru and how he joins the Federation. Now, they, at some point in the creative process realized that not enough people probably watched that short trek. I mean, when we reopened our CBS All Access account to watch Discovery, we binged through the short treks that they had done up to that point. And I have to say, the one, the two that are really worth watching is the one with Henry Mudd, because Mudd, Mudd is so good, and uh, the one with Sarah. Those are the two best ones that they did. And so, as kind of flashbacks important scenes are cut into this episode from that short track. So if you didn't watch it, you can follow along. I think that that was a creative mistake. I really do. Because one, they don't add all that much to the episode. And most of the things that we see in the flashback were already covered in dialogue. So... You know, we didn't really need to see it, you know, because we were already told that it happened. And so getting to see it really didn't add all that much texture. Two, it 
kind of undercut the purpose of the short treks because if you're just going to show me what I need to know from the short treks and the episodes that they become important in, should that ever happen, then yeah. And what's the point of me specifically watching them? So I, I think it, they kind of double-edged sorted themselves on that, but eh, I'm not going to nitpick. It was a decision that they made. Um, yeah. So basically, they go back to his home world. They're trying to figure out what's going on. Seru, who now feels no fear. Uh, that's going to get old quick. Um, unless they actually start writing his character better. Anyway, he gets up on his soapbox. He starts going off about how they need to liberate his people. Blah, 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 blah. We get to see the Bular, um, Baul, sorry, Baul ships, and they kind of do a chain link fence around the Discovery because they don't understand three dimensional space. Because at least the Tholians, you know, they built a web all the way around the ship. Um, yeah. And basically, the episode becomes I Am Spartacus, and of course, Seru ends up freeing his people. Now, I have weird feelings about this episode. And one, I had a theory that this episode disproved, and th that's actually one of the things that I have a problem with, because I'm not sure their answer is better. I'm not at all. Okay, so in my head, I had gotten myself convinced somewhere back in season one, um, and definitely after I watched the short trek, that the Ba'ul were Kelpians. That the culling, that the Kelpians were basically a larval state kind of thing, and once they matured to a certain point, they were taken off planet where the transformation actually happened, and the Ba'ul and the Kelpians were the same thing. And I felt more confirmed in that theory, and I believe I talked about it when I discussed the episode with the dying planet, and yeah, when... Yeah, I'm not going to go there because I'll get emotional. So that episode did get me emotional. But when he lost his fear response, I was like, see, there it is. He's evolving. He's going through the process that he thought was death. It's not death. It's actually transformation. The reason they keep the Kelpians on the planet is because they are more helpless. And basically, it's a nursery. They're trying to protect them. Da, 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 da. It's a neat idea. It is not the idea that Discovery went for. And instead, we find out that the Ba'ul are basically the race from Skin of Evil, except for if when it came out of the pool, it, was, it looked like somewhere between the Punisher and the girl from the ring. Not the Punisher, I mean the Predator. The Predator and the Girl from the Ring. Um, okay. Well, that's a thing that they did. And, alright. 
And we learned that basically once upon a time, both races shared the planet and the evolved, they kept using that term, evolved Kelpians basically hunted and killed the bubble and then the bubble developed technology to let them fight back and created the new balance and they basically take and kill all of the Kelpians before they evolve because they decided to continue to use that word and Seru has his weird spikes come out and shoot at the Bowel and yeah, stuff. Okay. And everybody lived happily ever after. Uh, okay. I I think this this episode suffered from the lack of moral vision that Star Trek Discovery has struggled with for a very long time. And I'm not saying that being morally gray is a bad thing. Or that being somehow in a strange place where you're having to choose between two bad things is necessarily bad, narratively speaking. But basically, the story presented in this episode is Kelpians basically committed genocide against the Ba'ul. And so the Ba'ul ethnically cleansed the... Kelpians for centuries and then when the inter- when the discovery basically force evolves the entire planet the Ba'ul decide to just genocide everybody and then the Red Angel shows up and blows everything up so they can't do that and now everybody needs to learn how to live happily ever after Kumbaya what? I mean, that just... What? Like, one of my favorite episodes of Star Trek Enterprise is the one where Trip tries to save the little um, third gender girl person that he doesn't understand why they don't educate them and dot dot dot. And... He learns the hard lesson that will eventually lead to the prime directive that you don't interfere in, you know, the affairs of other cultures. That was a hard episode to watch because it kind of sounds a little pro-slavery and kind of is a little pro-slavery, but is kind of the most dramatic way that they could show the necessity of the prime directive in a way without gangster planet. Yeah. You remember that from the original series? Yeah. Okay. So, and if you don't, you should go back and watch that because gangster planet, but yeah, this, this one kind of left me head scratching because now Discovery is just going to fly off and the Ba'ul are helpless and the Kelpians are now all crazy rage monsters if Saru is anything to go off of and they have little spikes that shoot out of their heads and yeah, <laughs> now live in peace. Whoa, okay, um, yeah, not entirely sure that was the best solution 
I, I don't know. The, it, it made me feel weird at the end. It made me feel strange in the end. It also leads me to believe that Michael is the Red Angel. But we'll talk about that in a moment. Um, yeah, it, it, it was all manner of strange as far as the feels at the end. Everything else going through, I, I kind of liked Saru getting up on his soapbox and starting to feel his oats and being somebody who's willing to stand up for himself because that's not the Saru that we knew. Again, a little of that goes a long way, but the way they left it, man, I mean, just this idea that, okay, so you tried to genocide them and then they ethnically cleansed you. Then they tried to genocide you and we're just gonna bye. I mean, that's just, whoa, that, that, like, I, I get how they're kind of, you know, working around the prime directive and that's actually part of the episode where they bring up the prime directive and show how technically it was um pike's call whether they enforced general order one or not they definitely did not Mm, yeah it does though more than any of the other episodes prove that the red angel has its own agenda and we'll talk about that in a moment because I want to save a lot of the red angel talk and do it together. Cause I think that's a whole separate thing, but yeah, I I'm not sure how I feel about this because invoking skin of evil, I mean, making me think of skin of evil and they had to realize if you, if you're not a big fan of star Trek and you're just listening to this episode, um, Skin of Evil is an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation where the actress who played Tasha Yar, she upset Jim um, Gene Roddenberry and did not apologize to him. She did a Playboy shoot and he basically said that's off brand and killed her character off in a pointless, meaningless way. That's very specifically a pointless, meaningless way. And that those words get brought up a lot in dealing with how she died. And the villain monster creature thing in that episode is basically this oily sheet thrown over a guy who comes out of an oil, uh, out of a tar slick. And they had somebody in that writer's room had to know that their depiction of the Ba'ul would remind people like me of Skin of Evil. I mean, they had to know that. They just absolutely had to know that that was a thing. And they did it anyway. So, there's that. That's a smart idea. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what they were thinking not a big fan of the bubble. I am very mixed about how they actually dealt with the Kelpian thing. We're probably going to visit this planet again as new genocide ensues. Personal theory. So as far as the red angel goes, this episode made me look at Ash Tyler way too much, but I don't know. I'm trying to get over, 
I am trying to get over my feels about Ash Tyler because I think his character was really bad in season one and it's hard for me to drop that. They're doing different things with his character in season two and maybe I can eventually come to like him. But oh, every time I see him, I'm just like, you stupid, stupid, useless subplot. Why are you here? Um, yeah. So basically Ash Tyler and Pike and others have variant conversations about whether the Red Angel is sentient, whether it is doing things intentionally, whether it is showing motivation, whether it is, you know, a natural phenomena, or if it is an intelligence intervening. The thing that upset me the most is Ash Tyler keeps bringing up the idea that it's a time traveler and... Okay, the only way I will be happy with it being a time traveler is, and I mean this, if, and you have to bring back Scott Bakula, you have to bring back the original actors, but if all of a sudden, out of nowhere, in some episode, Captain Archer and Trip show up, and this is like one of their secret missions in the Temporal Cold War, because I hated the temporal cold war. I think everybody hated the temporal cold war again in the episode that you reminded me of skin of evil. You then reminded me of the temporal cold war because I don't know. You, you know what you're, you know what you're doing? Question mark, question mark, question mark. Like, I don't think I can get my voice higher. I, I, I'm hoping that like everything that comes out of Ash Tyler's mouth, he's being stupid and wrong and that's not what it is. And that's not them setting up the eventual solution, though. I do believe that that will be the eventual eventual solution. And the reason for that is now this just could be me reading things into the episode, but Seru gets a good look at the red angel and I saw lady hips in fact, to me, it looked like Shaniqua Martin-Green in a spacesuit with weird wing thingies behind her. It really did. I might be wrong about that. It's highly possible I'm wrong about that, and the Red Angel is somebody else. But it, it, it really, to me, looked... Yeah... So, maybe, I noticed that the Red Angel is not um, attributed to anybody, so that tells me that it there's a high likelihood that it's either Michael Burnham, Sylvia Tilly, because, you know, the craziness is going to make her do things, and yeah, that's going to be a thing, and, or it's going to be Philippa Giorgio. It's going to be one of those three people that we're going to find out is the Red Angel. And I don't want that to be true. That's also one of the reasons why I'm saying it on the podcast. Because, yeah, prove me wrong. Prove me wrong. And if I'm not, I can point back to this episode and be like, remember when I said it was going to be one of these three people? Yeah, that... I, I Yeah. I'm hoping I'm wrong. Or worst, it's Amanda. Eh. 
Oh, wouldn't it be funny if it's Perrin from the future, Sarek's future wife? He's going back, she's coming back to try to save Spock. And mend the relationship between Spock and Sarek before he gets too bad. And pick the most convoluted way possible because reasons? That would be funny. That, that would actually make me laugh. So if it's going to be a time traveler, have it be Perrin. Or if it's got to be somebody else, you know, bring back Hoshi, Hoshi from Enterprise because Temporal Cold War. It's be one of those weird episodes that happens in the future or something. I don't know. I don't like the idea of it being time travel. I really don't like the idea of it being time travel. travel. And yeah, so we'll have to see where they go with that. That's just really upsetting. Okay, speaking of upsetting, we got more of Culper, and he's got PTSD, because of course he does. Didn't we talk about that already? Yeah, he's been dead for almost a year, and now he's not dead, and his body is brand spanking new and doesn't have scars because it's brand spanking new, and he's having weird feels because he's in a new body that's brand spanking new and having a little PTSD and yeah, yeah, you're going to find a way to take him away again. I, I know you are because you're Star Trek Discovery and it's what you do. And I'm not going to get my hopes up that Culper is going to be around for a very long period of time because that's not what you're going to do. Let's be honest. I really want them to surprise me on that, and he's going to be fine, and going to become a vital and important and interesting character on the show. I just, I, I've come to not trust them when it comes to the LGBT characters, because Star Trek's never been good with that. And that breaks my heart, because I love Star Trek, and I want it to be good with that, but oh, it, it has not. It has, it has a proven track record of not being good with that. So... Yeah, we'll, we'll see what they do. But having said all that, I I like that they're kind of making a relationship between him and Saru, because Saru's gone through a big change too, and we'll have to see if that relationship actually spawns anything. Please don't have Saru and Culper have an affair and... I mean, if you want to make them a polyamorous couple, I'm fine with that. But, uh I'm just looking for the ways that they're setting them up for this relationship to fail. And the reason I'm not trusting the show with relationships like this is because relationships is not what Discovery does. Like, I know they said that they wanted to be different from other Star Treks, and... I was kind of alright with that, because they were like, you know, we're not going to center around the captain. And of course, they've kind of backtracked on that with Pike, and making him more of a character than either of the captains were last season. But, yeah, you're also not... Like, I'm still calling characters like Robot Girl and, you know, the blue one. Because we're not getting any time with them. Like I'm looking here, I've got the IMDB page up and I'm like, Lieutenant Commander Ariam. Um, 
I think I know who that is. And then I look at the picture and I'm like, I, I don't recognize you. Maybe you're the blue one? Maybe? Or Lieutenant Kayla Detmer? Okay, I think I know which one's Kayla. And yeah, yeah, okay, I kind I recognize you. You're the robot one. You're the cyborg one with the eye thing. Yeah, yeah. And that's a problem. Like, I'm two seasons into this show. And, you know, season one was fairly long for what a lot of shows are, you know, nowadays. It's about twice the length of most shows nowadays. When I think about it, you know, I'm almost as far into Discovery as I am into The Expanse, because I've watched all three seasons of The Expanse. I can name even minor characters on The Expanse because they had characters. They had relationships. The fact that I can look here and go, oh, you played Lieutenant Jen Reese. Who, who's Jen Reese? And I look at the picture of you and you're, you're a handsome actor, but I have no idea who you are. And it doesn't help that your IMDb page doesn't have a picture of you in character on Star Trek. Wait. Okay, so he's in the cast photo somewhere. Oh. You're on the show? I see you in the cast photo and you actually look like you do in a... But see, that's a problem. Like, think think about how long was it? Was it, Were you into any of the other Star Treks before you knew who Picard and Data and Geordi? I mean, think about the enormous cast of the next generation, right? Think about Deep Space Nine, for goodness sakes, where you not only have your main cast, your, you know, all of the aliens that are recurring characters from your Dukats to your Morns to the variant Ferengi that have recurrent roles in the show and you know all of their names because they have relationships and they're not merely there as vehicles for plot. And that's really frustrating for a Star Trek series because if you're going to, it's about the characters. Like I just really want to find out where their writer's room is physically located and just get a whole bunch of people to stand outside with signs that say it's all about the characters. Just make it all about the characters. Like, nothing mean, like, not harassing people, just holding signs so that they remember this. Because, like, as much as I'm curious about what's going to happen with Tilly and Stamets and Michael and Culber now that he's back... I really couldn't tell you much about them. I mean, Tilly's kind of high strong. Um, yeah. Kinda. She kind of wants to be an officer and has ambitions. But you could probably say that of most of the characters on a Starfleet ship. You know, especially that are this adjacent to the command staff. So that's not much of a character. Like, I know Michael really likes Alice in Wonderland. Because they keep bringing it up. So. And I'm hoping that. Okay. I'm telling you right now. End of the season. The Red Angel is Philippa Giorgio. She's trapped in time. She's trying to set things right on some weird future. Section 31 mission. She's the Red Queen. And there's going to be some kind of a down the rabbit hole. Jabberwocky episode. That ties it all together. 
I'm calling it now because whoever was in that suit had lady hips or at least looked like they had lady hips and I'm pretty sure it's one of the people that I've listed already. I'm just um calling it. <laughs> we'll see if I'm right. Hopefully I'm wrong and it's something much more interesting. Unless they're going to do the weird mirror-mirror-reverse thing, and through some weird timey-wimeyness, the other Philippa Giorgio comes back. Because <laughs> reasons! I mean, it's not like this show hasn't already brought one character back from the dead. Why not more? And we'll use some red matter and stuff. Okay, yeah. All in all, I, I did actually enjoy the episode, even though the characterization was very thin and the moral lesson at the end of the story is even if somebody does a does an ethnic cleansing because you did a genocide on them and then they tried to genocide you, you should still all get along. I mean, that is such a simple moral message for all of us to take home, isn't it? Yeah. It should be a t-shirt. This should be a bumper sticker. Star Trek Discovery. Just because somebody did a genocide on you and you did an ethnic cleansing on them and then tried to do a genocide on them doesn't mean that you can't be friends because they literally got saved by a deus ex machina like a literal god in the machine because red angel machine thing saved them. Yay! <laughs> I want to love you, Discovery. Why do you make it so hard? Why? Anywho, okay, so yeah, if you liked this episode, and what's not to like, I mean, it, you get to hear me doing my impersonation of the Queen song, I'm Going Slightly Mad, in spoken word, in long form. Because that's what Star Trek Discovery does to me. If the app that you're listening to me on allows you to rate either this episode or the podcast in general, please do that. That helps out a lot. That tells the algorithm to share the podcast with more people. Um, if you got a dollar you can throw my way and you would like to join the project, in the show notes you'll see a link. This is Anchor Community Support. If you click that, you can give it the $1, $5, or $10 levels. That helps out a lot. Because... Um, you know, I'm trying to make this my full-time job. I'll be honest with you. And it, you know, that helps a lot. Helps me get things like the microphone that I'm talking to you on and the software that I do everything with. If you don't have any money, I completely understand that. What you could do, you know, share the podcast. Help me to grow and get out there. Because, you know... I really like talking about these things with people, and the more people we have in the community, the more people I get to talk to, and you get to talk to, and yay! Uh, Star Trek Discovery. I'm sorry, I'm just stuck on it. I'm just stuck on it. Anywho, um, <laughs> if you want to keep up with me online, follow me on Twitter. I do a lot of talky-talky on Twitter, especially here lately. I've been doing a lot of talky-talky on Twitter. Um, I'm C.E. Dorset on Twitter. If you would like to join the Facebook group that I'm trying to get started over there, because I neglect Facebook a lot, it's facebook.com slash group slash Project Shadow. In the words of Scotty, no bloody dash, no bloody underscore, just Project Shadow, one word. 
and that'll take you to the group. Join the group. Let's try to get some conversation started if Facebook's your thing. I, I'm thinking about trying to do more on Instagram. We'll see about that and what have you. Um, I really want to be doing more on Instagram. I just haven't figured out how to get pictures out fast enough. If you want links to everything that I do, just go over to projectshadow.com. You'll find links to everything there. Anywho, I think that's it for today. If you have a topic that you would like to hear me discuss on the show, just head over to anchor.com. I'm sorry, anchor.fm. Download the Anchor app and follow Project Shadow on there, and you'll see a button that says voice message. If you click that, you can leave me up to a one-minute message. It can be a question, a comment, or a topic you'd like to hear me discuss on the show, because I really would like this to be more our show. So go ahead and do that, and until next time, don't forget, have the fun. Bye.